Hi everyone. Hey, did you hear the one about the podcaster and the CPA showing up in the same Zoom room? Okay, that's not a good setup to a joke and it's not even funny. But hopefully the premise is interesting because on our podcast today, we're talking about humor and we're joined by my friend, Troy Hooten. And he really is a CPA. He's also a CFO and an aspiring comedian. He has extensive experience in mergers and acquisitions, business valuation, tax, litigation support, poker, and dad jokes. And while he was waiting impatiently for his comedy career to take off, he was recognized by Utah Business Magazine of one, as one of Utah's top 40 under 40 and owned one of Utah's fast 50 growing businesses. In addition to comedy, he has a passion for teaching and brought his real-world experience and humor to the classroom as an adjunct professor teaching graduate-level courses. And he's also kind and compassionate and a joy to be around. And he has something to teach us today. the question that I always ask every beginning of every podcast that I do. And I got this from all of my years working with college students and using this as an interview question. And of course, when I said the question to them, I'd say the answer that you're about to give me is one that you would never normally say in a job interview. The answer is one that is much more personal. And that's the one that I'm looking for. So if you remove any reference to work, school, church activity, volunteerism, sports, um, research, th those types of things, um, all of those things about what you do, if you take that away, what's your greatest accomplishment or what are you most proud of about yourself as a human being? So you want the comedian and the accountant to get vulnerable, huh? Right so, off the bat. Yep. Yeah, it's just you and me, right? You're not going to tell anybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, it's a great question. It's interesting is there was, I had an experience recently that, that caused me to think about this a little bit um, in a very emotional way. Um, and so I'll try to get through this with just a straight answer without uh, kind of, kind of tearing at me a little bit, but the thing I'm most proud of, ultimately, um, outside of all those things you mentioned, would be that that I'm a jump in the hole type of friend. Um, and I'll give you a little story um, that how it was put to me to to put a little context to that. But uh, I was talking to my son a few weeks ago, and he was dealing with some great things in life and with some challenging things in life, and he just wanted one of those conversations that you have with a parent and in the course of that conversation, he stopped and he says, you know, I was watching the reruns of the West Wing recently. And he said, there was a quick story on there where um, he says a, a guy walks along and he falls in a hole. And the first person that passes by is a doctor. He yells, help, help, I need help. Can, can you help me? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it in the hole. And that doesn't help him. The next passerby is a pastor. And he's helped me, help me, and he helped me. He, says, he writes him a prayer and throws it in the hole. And the third guy walks by as a friend. He says, help me, help me, I'm in the hole. And the third friend just jumps in the hole with him. And the guy says, well, thanks, idiot. Now we're both in the hole. He says, yeah, but I've been here before and I know how to get out. 
And mm -hmm. my son told me that that was one of the most important lessons he's learned from me and from my dad. Um, that uh, to That's be that kind of man you are. That's the kind you know, of human. Jump in the hole type of friend. If if I'm proud that when I've had friends or loved ones, people close to me uh, have a problem, I jump in the hole with them, um, and that uh, that creates some interesting challenges at times. Um, but it's it's what I do. That's what I'm most proud of. Um, How did you feel when your son told you that? Oh, um, a lot of things. Uh, pride. I was I was proud. I was happy that. I mean, you try to teach your kids so many things and the fact that that's something that he that he remembers that he builds on that he believes was taught to him um was great so i felt i was proud of him um it was he was dealing with some things in life and he was dealing with him, dealing with them very well and uh and so it was just it was a moment of, of pride and he was also referring to my dad who i lost last year mm. and so it was so it was, it was emotional. Both of us were teared up a little bit. Um, so it was uh, uh, good to know that my dad had an impact on him as well. So there was a lot of things. I'm so impressed with that whole, how it's generational too. Those big, important lessons um, are the things that we want to pass down to our children and our children's children, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was huge. It affected me for, for many days and now even weeks after. That's so good because it reminds me of, I have had this conversation with students for many years where we talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy. And we use this, that little, there's a little Brene Brown clip that actually is a person going down in the hole. Yeah. And the whole discussion is that sympathy is the, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And empathy means that you connect with a place in yourself that has that same kind of feeling that the other person has. Yeah. And and get down in the hole with them. Like you, you feel it with them. And so real empathy takes so much more work and, yeah. and can be just as draining for the person who's not, who isn't in the situation, but is feeling the situation with the person. But it also is the thing that lifts people up. Yeah. Agreed completely. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I love that story. It's such a good one. And I think it's really interesting. So talk to me a little, you know, I've known you as businessman, Troy Hooten, um, so talk to me a little bit about just so our listeners know, um, what your business background is a little, and then, um, and then of course today I'm going to talk to my friend, the businessman and CPA about humor. And so I think that that, I just love the juxtaposition of that, which I imagine you do too. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, like your role is in business and how that has drawn you toward thinking a lot and actually acting upon the importance of humor. No, absolutely. So there's a quick background um, on the business side. So business has always been my thing. Um, I'm not sure I understand completely why, but I mean, my thing since like the elementary playground days, I mean, I, <laughs> I remember being turned on by business immediately and um, you were the monopoly guy when you played board games or whatever. You're like, yeah, totally. Yeah. I loved it. And, and I would be drawn to TV shows or movies like Alex P. Key, remember family ties and stuff. And, and, and not, he was more political than business, but he, that's, that was the type of person I thought I wanted to be. And so I was in a high school, I was all business all the time. I was part of a program called the Academy of Finance. I would actually wear suits to high school 
<laughs> I love it. You were that guy. Oh man. Yeah. It was crazy. And I went, did a, an internship in New York during high school. And I wow. was, I thought for sure I was wall street all the way. Um, uh, I didn't end up deciding to go back East, but stayed here and went to the university of Utah, studied finance, just assumed that I would no thought of ever being an accountant entered my head at that point, but it's, it, but accounting made sense, but I wanted to do finance. And so in finance, um, had some early success working for different businesses. Um, and then went to, went to go get my MBA when an opportunity came for me to join and begin to take over a CPA firm. And I learned that, that I just had some natural aptitude to accounting, despite every attempt to kill it, it was still there. And so <laughs> as I went to MBA school, I needed that education to become a CPA, to be an MBA, had to go back and actually, cause I'm in a CPA with no accounting degree, which is pretty rare and went back, took a few classes. And in the course of completing my MBA, um, and I, I don't have to tell you this, met dozens and dozens of just amazing people um, that forever changed the course of my career. Um, some of them in just super intimate ways. Some of them I just stay in touch with. Um, it led me into the path of teaching business, um, led me down the path of entrepreneurship, which was always a dream. Um, and some of those went spectacularly. Some of those didn't go so spectacularly, um, but it loved every minute of it. So at the end of that, I come out, I'm a, I'm a MBA, a CPA, spent 10 years teaching in the MBA program, um, loving it. But like any good MBA or CPA, I, I, I grew up with comedy. It was, it was part of how um, I communicated with my family as part of how I dealt with everything in my life. And so for the last, I don't know, many, many years, I've been driving around thinking constantly how there has to be a formula. There has to be a secret. Comedy has, can't just be I can't just be a sarcastic smart ass all the time. There's something here. There's a way to use this in business. I love uh, that you said there has to be a formula. What a CPA thing to say. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I, one day I happened to just by luck catch a podcast with uh, a lady by the name of Katie Goodman, who is based in New York. And she uses improv comedy uh, as a business tool. And okay. I heard a podcast with her. I was immediately thought, I love this lady. She's great. And she had some of the same relationships with her dad and her dad. Um, they shared mash as a thing. My dad and I shared mash as a TV show together. It was, it was, it was comedy. It's how we, we, we bonded. And so there were a lot of things that drew me to Katie and I got into chance to talk to her and meet with her. And I told her a little bit of my story and said, listen, I, I love comedy and I want to use it to, in business, but maybe even more specifically, I want to use it in when businesses hit hard times, because, you know, you know, a little bit about my background, some of our businesses hit rough waters. And there were times where comedy was the only way you got through the day. And so I, I, I felt, again, being the get in the hole type, there are entrepreneurs out there who are getting their asses kicked and need help, and there's nowhere to turn. And maybe I can help them, but not only help them with Cash flow management or business management. Maybe I can tell them, maybe I can cheer them up. Maybe I can tell them a few jokes. And so I told her that story and she said, that is, 
that is way cool, Troy. And this was like on a Thursday. She says, I have an eight hour improv comedy class in New York City on Saturday. Any chance you could be here and free if you can get here. <laughs> so I did everything I could. The next day I was on a plane to New York. Wow. To study improv comedy with a bunch of actors in New York City. And wow. It was so cool. And so obviously massive intimidation, massive anxiety, but just sort of a, you know what, what the hell, let's go do it. And so I flew to New York, took the class, loved it, held my own, felt like I, I, and that was one thing that Katie told me at the end is she was, you need to, you need to study this more because you have what it takes. You have, you have it, you can do this. And I'm like, well, that's, that's great. That's awesome. Um, so I came back to Salt Lake um, signed up for an improv comedy class that uh, went great for as long as it went before uh, the early stages of COVID ended all get-togethers. And so um, I, I ended up, you know, finishing what I could with that. And then I studied um, character sketch writing, like the SNL form stuff, took a couple of classes there. And then also thank you, to the, thanks to the pandemic, as I was able to enroll with the second city and study stand-up comedy, which is second city is the, the top of the year. This is the the big one. So it's the same ones that launched, you know, Tina Fey or Steve Carell or all the way back to John Belushi or John Candy. I mean, it's, it, it, it is the standard. So normally you'd have to live in LA, Chicago, New York to really, or Toronto to study there. But thanks to zoom and the pandemic, I was able to study, stand-up comedy at the second city. Um, wow. So, well, that was a really long answer to a quick question, but that it was allowed my curiosity from a business standpoint and my just feeling like comedy was at my core came together over the last two or three years in this, uh, this search for the formula. And now I think I understand the formula. <laughs> I'm really interested in your, like how you ended up thinking that the importance of comedy and humor to get you through the hard times. Like that's how it first started for you. Yeah. So talk to me about what do you think that is? That's that, that common thread that has to do with difficulty um, or pain and humor. Like talk to me about what, what, what you see with that. and, And have you learned anything about that? Because I feel like there's something there. Yeah, I think um, that it's, it's funny, it's probably the question I struggle with the most, because it is, it is my, it has been my go to number one coping mechanism for as long as I can remember. I, I, anytime I am faced with, um, like I mentioned, the the business struggles, or a personal struggle, or um, even eulogizing my father, comedy was ever present. I, um, I don't, I guess I haven't really ever known another way. Um, but I, but I always, but what I felt was, and maybe it's just that, that need that we've developed, developed as students in life to learn and know more about it is that I felt like this was my go-to. This was my, um, this was my safe place comedy when I could make myself laugh or, or distract myself or make others laugh. I have a hard time that, that was a good place to be. And when that was the surest way I knew to know somebody was okay, if I could get them to laugh and same with myself. And so I thought about the comedy 
a lot during um, the early stages of, of, of some of the, with the Great Recession and some of the business challenges that came along, they were extraordinarily challenging. Um, and on a day-to-day -day basis, I had to distract myself from um, just dwelling on that, uh, those, those challenges, those pains, those fears, those insecurities that were coming up, those um, arguments, those fights with, with customers, vendors, employees. Um, it, was, it was crazy. So um, I wish I had a better answer to why it helps. I just know it does. And as I've studied it more, um, I think I've started to come in touch with how to use comedy better day to day. Um, and I'm, and I'm still piecing together how to, how to help, um, struggling entrepreneurs with it, because I think it's an important piece that when your business fails, um, you feel like a failure and yeah. your identity gets challenged and who you think you are, who you, how you think everybody sees you gets challenged. Um, it's, it's sometimes it's trivialized when you, you know, you know, the pain when somebody says, well, I lost a parent or I lost a pet or I lost my job or, you know, it's some funny, there's all these pains. And when you tell somebody, well, my business failed, most of the times it's, it, people don't quite understand how painful and how personal that can get. Um, and it was. And so I have, I look back on the ways that we got through um, me, business partner, team, we laughed. We found a way to, to put some levity to things when we could, even when, um, you know, some of those failures led to um, lawsuits. So we, would, we would make a lot of fun of, we'd make fun of the judges, the lawyers, the people on the other side, the people, we did everything we could just to, to survive. And so um, to me, comedy is, is one of the great distractions, one of the great healers if, if, you learn how to use it the right way. I think that's interesting. Tell me what you think of as the, like, is there a difference between the idea of comedy and the idea of humor? Like I, do you, you personally think of a difference between those two things or are um, they the same? Yeah, I think of, I, I don't know if I separate, I, I personally, I, I think of comedy as more of the, the action. Um, humor is a little more of the concept. Um, mm -hmm. Like what's, what's funny is if, you know, it's been part of the discovering the formula is what, what's funny and, and funny things are, you know, things that are incongruent, something that, you know, where I start telling you a story and you have one expectation and then I, then I switch it on you and that's funny. Or I get you into some pattern that you see that you're, it's, you felt it. You're, you know, you've been there before you get it. I, you know, I'm making, making a joke about uh, a relationship and you're, you're, I, I know that I recognize that that's, that's funny. And so humor has all these elements that are sort of universal. And to me, the comedy sort of that action is, is putting it into place is, is doing even, you know, the improv comedy, the sketch comedy, the stand-up comedy, the different forms and deliveries that come in that to me, it's, it's more of an action. That's how I separate them. Anyways. I do want to just like drill a little bit deeper down into the the difficult aspect of that. I had a, one of our podcast episodes early on. Um, it wasn't about humor, but it was about values. And the individual spoke about his value, like his top thing he values the most is humor. And like, that's 
as much as love, right? Like it is at the top. But he also talked about how that could, because he'd always, that was his go-to of how to communicate with people, how to, how he, like just who he was in the world, that when he experienced uh, a terrible tragedy and was sad, that it was one of the hardest times for him because the people who surrounded him did not know how to interact with him as a sad person. Like he was like, I can't, I don't have it in me. I want to, and and people would say like, how are you today? And he'd be like, I'm, I'm just sad. And people didn't know what to do. And he said, I think, I think that's a, that's also a hard thing for him is how to, how to be in the world when you, you are known for your humor. But I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. Have you experienced anything like that or seen people in your family since you're from a, a long line of comedians? <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because it is that I think I'm lucky if I, if I think of myself just for a second that I, that I, if there's two parts of my personality, the humor is dominant and it's big, but it, I also have that a lot of people will refer to me as the poker player. Like they can't tell where I'm at, where I'm more stoic, where I'm more reserved. And I, that's, I guess where that you allows you to be a CPA (laughs) to some degree. And actually a poker player. You're also a poker player for real. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And so I think, I think when I've been in situations where, they've had where someone's had to trust that I can be serious and that I can handle a situation. I think I've been lucky um, that, that that can be handled that I, that I, that I'm competent and capable of that. It's interesting that I haven't really come across anybody that I think that can't be taken seriously, but I do think there's a risk of it. I think you have to be, if, if in business you want to utilize humor Um, and you want to be the comedian in the room, um, that you can, you got to use it right. Um, I kind of love that actually, Troy, because I'm, I'm really interested in the idea that we don't have to be separate people at work and at home, that we get to just be ourselves, whoever we are. Um, and I love the idea of, of that whole, you can be funny and be a leader and that's okay. And I was interested in um, how you can use humor as a, as like a leadership tool or as a way to connect with other individuals in, and especially now, like if we think about it, of course, I always want to talk about what happens at work, because as you know, 92,000 hours is about how we spend most of our time at work in our lives. So um, gosh, wouldn't that be sad if it's the place that we spend the most time and if we're naturally, if we naturally lean toward humor that we would think that we can't have that in our lives, like that's, that's just heartbreaking if that's actually oh. the case. Oh, and so, so if we, if like, how can, and how do you use, or have you seen someone using humor as a tool for connection um, in either the workplace or in our society? Because gosh, we're so disconnected. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but let's split those up. Cause I, okay. I there, for me, in my mind, there are two, um, there's two big, big concepts there. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. distinct. The, so let's start with the business one. We'll come back to more of the societal one. Cause I, I'd love to talk about both. Um, 
set if it, maybe just visualize this with, with me a little bit that we, you and I both have sat through hundreds, if not thousands of meetings that I would dare say, I'd be curious if you would agree that most of the meetings I've ever attended have never met the met the stated agenda or the, the goals or objectives of the meeting. And oftentimes I've been more bored than inspired. And I probably often spent more time on my cell phone than I was paying attention to what was even going on. And so one of the interesting things about comedy and more specifically improv comedy, and this is improv comedy uh, for a reference for folks is if you think about whose line is it anyway, it's a show on TV where there's games and short form where actors and comedians are playing off each other all the time. And I have found it's one of the things that Katie first got me started on in New York and since I've continued to research and learn, um, but you think about most, a lot of times people will see those improv shows and go, how do they do this? How does someone just give them a topic out of nowhere and they make a show out of it? How, do, how does this work? And as you break it down and learn how to do that, there is some fabulous lessons in business that can be learned. And the core one that you'll hear most frequently is, is a concept called yes and which if you and I were playing it's actually a negotiating tool as well, kind of. Yeah. 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 So, so if, you know, if you and I were playing a game to, to build on a funny story and, and, and you said, you know, you said, Hey, a, a white horse, you know, comes up, you know, beautiful white horse walks upon us. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And there's a monkey on the horse and he's, you know, he's, you know, he's riding the horse and you're like, Oh yeah. And then the monkey fell off the horse ran away. And, you would kill the creativity and the vibe by not saying, yes, I see what you're saying and more like, and he's wearing a football Jersey and, and smoking a cigar. I mean, you know, you just, you put something funny on it and then we keep adding and you build it up. And so the whole yes. And thing, if you went into a meeting where people just didn't, weren't negative immediately. Um, yeah. So that's one of the tools. Like the Another brainstorming. One, it's like a, a really instead of finding what's wrong with, and there's never going to be a horse that walks up to me. Right. Instead, you're going to say, there's not only a horse, but he's a monkey's on his back. Right. Right. And to do, so to do improv comedy, you've got to have this. Yes. And you've also got to listen intently. And frankly, this was where I would fail most times. I, I didn't know this about myself. I guess I should have. I am a horrible listener. I, 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 I'm so busy thinking in my head, I, I may hear what you say, but I didn't listen. And so in improv comedy, when, if I'm not listening and you said the horse rides in and all of a sudden now it's on me and I didn't hear the horse, I'm lost, I'm done. And I think so many of us today are so busy upstairs or on our phones or distracted that we don't, we're not present with what's going on. We're just and, thinking about what our cool reply is going to be. Right, exactly. Oh yeah, or we're trying to say, yeah, we're, we're trying to be three and four steps down the road. And so we miss it and we're not flexible. And we've got, you know, another one in to do this improv comedy. You have this inner critic that's in you. It's like, don't say that. That's stupid. Don't, don't whoa, don't no, keep that. And it's part of that inner monologue that's distracting us too. But it's also telling us you're stupid. Don't say that. Kill that thing. Fire that inner critic, you know, put, put that. And so these ideas of, can you imagine a meeting if everybody sat down I love this so much, Trey. This is like really good nuggets. These are yeah. really good nuggets about how to be 
at work. Yeah, thank you. If, if everybody like, sat down and wanted to build on it, if everybody was listening, if there were no bad ideas, you kill the inner critic, you listen, you get present, just think how much better those meetings would be. And how you'd look forward to going to the meeting instead of not being there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so good. That's really good stuff. Yeah. And there is so many more um, on improv comedy, but it's, and and that to me was rewarding in that I knew there was a formula. (laughs) I knew there was steps. (laughs) I knew there was an outline that I could put together that could go in Excel. (laughs) That you could highlight, it could go in Excel. And so that's something I've learned. And so when you talk about how to use it as a tool day to day in the business, I think there's a lot of things um, from the, the stand-up side and, and the sketch comedy side is very similar is first of all, every time someone says something about stand-up almost without fail, the first thing they say is how do you, how did you get up there? How did you stand up in front of those people and do that? It's, and so there's this issue of guts. And so I think it, it does help you start to fire that inner critic where if you at least have enough guts to get up on the stage, um, you're, you've already mm-hmm. won part of the battle. It's that imposter syndrome stuff. You just got to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. And what you learn in standup is that standup is, is two parts. It is, it's the writing and performing, and that's not particularly profound. That makes sense. But the real trick to standup is the writing. It, good stand-up happens long before you ever see it on the stage. And it's one thing that I never appreciated and most people don't is that you watch a stand-up comedian for five minutes. That is, that material has been in the works for months. It's been hours and hours and hours, if not dozens of hours to work. It's been tried, it's been tested, it's been refined. And almost always you write a joke, revise it, shrink it, write it, revise it, shrink it. And you get concise and you have to, because if you're trying to make somebody laugh, you don't have a lot of time up there. And so not only are now you've been gutsy, but now you're clearly thinking about what you want to say. You're writing it down in advance. You're getting clear, you're getting concise. And you're prepared. You're super prepared. prepared. Yeah. And so if you go into those meetings, you know, it's like, just like some of the negotiation stuff. If you go to that table, the, the meeting or the negotiating table and you're prepared, and you're concise and you're clear and you've done your homework, you've won a big part of the game. And so I think there's a lot of stand-up principles yeah. that, that mean a lot in business as well. I'm learning so much right now. I'm learning so much right now. I'm going to take this and it's actually, I mean, it's, I'd say it's a little bit funny, but it's not because I'm like, oh, I now know things I need to do that are going to actually help me in my next board meeting. Good. That's and they're awesome. not about being funny. They're about being really prepared and really clear and practicing in advance. Yeah. It's all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing today, remember to visit our website and social media pages for more. We'll post reminders of lessons learned, including Troy's three simple lessons from improv comedy as a leadership tool. I'm already trying to put them to work in my daily life.
we'll make sure we come back to that societal part too, because I love that part of the discussion. Well, and I don't know if we want to just dive into that or if we want to. Yeah, let's do. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so I think from a societal that humor and comedy specific is, is huge. Um, I actually think, and I'm not uh, a friend we have in common would tell you this really quickly. I am not a great student of history, although I love it. I wish I had been better. And so I always, I get anxious when I start making statements like this, but to me, <laughs> comedy has been one of the great change agents in, in history and in our culture. And um, as I think comedians, they observe us, they, they think about what we do, they watch, they look at our reactions and they point out the things that are silly or absurd or maybe shouldn't happen. And they put it in a way that you can hear and not be so charged and not so personal and not, maybe there's something you need to change and you just need to, you need to hear it. But um, the comedian's job is to, is to tell us a story walk us down a path, be clear and concise, but make fun of things that we do. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think it's, you, you don't have to go very far back in history. You can go back, if you go back and even watch some of the comedy sets of the 40s and 50s, 60s, you find such different humor, such different societal norms, such um, things on race or gender or sexual orientation, or it'll blow your mind. Um, but the comedians have been part of bringing that narrative and dialogue forward. And, and making so we can see that it was like, it, it, it gives it air. So you can see the, how right. it needs to be changed. Right. Yeah. It, it gives it life. You talk about it. If we don't ever talk about it, I don't know how you ever address or, or change anything if it's, if it's tucked away. And so it's part of what makes me sad. And again, not to be political with it, but right now we're, we're silencing a lot of comedians um, in the, so many old bits, all old things are getting dug up. Like, oh, you made, you know, homophobic comments 15 years ago. I was like, well, yeah, I did, but I evolved. I learned if you wouldn't find it in my set now, you did then. And, but then all of a sudden they get can't, I mean, Kevin Hart just went through that with the Oscars. He lost his hosting spot of the Oscars when it would have been a better opportunity to let Kevin Hart went over our hearts and say, sorry, I said something, wished I hadn't now. It was, it was appropriate or part of the environment then. It's not now. And I've All learned good. so much. I've learned, I don't believe these things anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. Instead, we just, we just didn't let him even talk. And so I've heard a lot of comedians now start to show more. They've been more, it's been challenging. They've been pulling back a little bit for being a little, as honest as they'd like to be. Um, and I still, res I still respect and love the comedians that can just tell you how they see it. They don't have to agree with me. I, I in fact, I love um, hearing comedians who don't agree with me, who have different points of view. And they help me challenge in a good way, in a fun way, in a way that I love. I can consume their thoughts for hours because I'm enjoying myself and they've taught me something. I've learned something. I've seen a different point of view. And they did it in a way that wasn't lecturing, wasn't yelling at me, wasn't in my face about it, wasn't trying to challenge some long-held belief that I've had. It's just been, let's have fun with this. Let's, let's look at it and see, and let's see where we go with it. And so I think it's too bad that I think society needs comedians. I think it needs comedy. I think it needs humor. I think we need to make fun of ourselves. 
I think that's what takes its places. Um, and I think you've probably seen, like I have so many people get their political views, maybe not as much now, but 10 years ago, for sure, from late night comedians. I mean, right. Leno and Letterman would set the stage for you well, we thought. Canada based on who they would, who they would make fun of. Yeah. Um, but those folks, the, the, the Lenos, the Lettermans, and now the Fallons and Kimmels and of the world and the Bill Mars and stuff, they hold the, they hold politicians accountable when they yeah. do stupid shit, they call them out on it. They, they, they go after them. Um, and I think that's needed. I think it's important. So that's true. And you're talking about that. I think like there's this comedian, Jordan, is it Jordan Klepper? I don't know. He's on the daily show. Oh my yeah. gosh. He's hilarious. Right. Right. Hilarious because he just goes out and talks to real people and you can see, and he's so smart in the moment and witty in the moment that it's hilarious. Right. right. And I think it makes people think. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it really does. I think it plays an important role. And I think it's just one of those things that we need to be careful of not to, not to become so politically correct that we can't laugh at ourselves because I think we'll lose some important lessons. There are some opportunities to grow if, if we just all have to shut up and not talk about anything. <laughs> I think that's right. I think it's even, I think it's helpful too, that if, you know how we're such a uh, urban versus rural and right versus left. And like, we're so versus in our country right now that it also would probably be good if, if uh, left-leaning people made more fun of left-leaning people and right-leaning people made more fun of right-leaning people. You're so, uh, I'm glad you brought that. Yeah, I absolutely. I think, one of my favorite comedians to listen to um, is actually Bill Maher. And politically, I'm probably not so, I'm not too far off from him, but we're, we're definitely a little bit different. And Bill Maher, um, many people may not, he is patterned or one of his mentors was Johnny Carson. And I always loved Johnny Carson growing up. And so Bill Maher, I see Johnny when I, when I hear him. And so I've just always enjoyed his style of comedy. I love his, how candid he is. I think he's funny. Um, but he lately has, he been was, taking on the left. He is. He, he is. is. I love that. It's so honest. It's like he has enough honesty to to say, not just to toe the line, to say, you know what? Folks on the right, shame on you. Folks on the left, shame on you. And he'll take them on both. And I love it. I think it's an important thing. You're, so you're so right about that. I do like the idea, though, is how it's a, a connection tool, right? Like a way that we really connect with each other is through humor because oh, yeah. we we all can see i don't know the like when things are a little ridiculous and some having somebody point it out or make a joke about it is so much fun oh yeah right yeah and i love those moments too when uh um somebody when a comedian connects and and i learn something as well um or i see a different point of view and that's, it's hard. So as I have been working to tweak and find my own comedic voice, um, I try hard to find those, right? And, and I'm still, I'm still getting there. Um, I still don't exactly have my comedic voice down the way I would like to. And, but I hope when I get that there, that there is, I love being, I, remarkably, and you know me, I, I, this might surprise you. I love being vulnerable on stage. I'm, I'm okay with opening up. I'm okay with making fun of myself. I'm okay with, um, a, bit, a bunch of my sets have stuff where I'm just 
where I'm the butt of the joke. Um, and I think it, it opens me up and it makes people feel like they relate. They're like, Oh, this guy has the same challenges and issues and things that I do. Um, he, he's not too, uh, you know, he's not hung up on himself. He can, and it, so it opens up. I mean, you can't, and this isn't part of my bit, just an example. It's like, you can't go on stage and talk about erectile dysfunction and then come down and meet somebody after the show and not have them feel like they could talk to you about anything because, you know, (laughs) that's already been there. Um, It's, it's a great thing that we, that we don't take ourselves so seriously. Um, And comedians are pretty good at that. Um, at least at making you feel like they don't take themselves very seriously. Um, and I think that feeds into the connection and the relationships and, and opening up new relationships. I think that's really important. I think that's so interesting. You just had me reflecting at my, in my day job. Um, I have, we have a monthly town hall um, that's often there are parts to it that are filmed beforehand because there are, you know, about 8,500 employees across the country. So our monthly town hall is big and it's often live. We even have a studio. Um, and so I've, I've had to host the, at the studio with all the people watching and um, they often do these little bits. Uh, there was a, the CFO is bald and like makes jokes about his baldness almost every time he's on there or it, like it's, there's always some jokes that he's doing at his own expense when he's up there. And it also made me think we had a giant um, all hands meeting where everybody comes together and we were at the Eccles uh, theater in Salt Lake, big place. And for part of the, how we learned things, it was through a pretend game show, like, um, oh gosh, what's the one called where it was Richard Dawson that ran it anyway, family feud. Feud. It was like family feud. Uh, And our CEO was up there as it like kind of Richard Dawsony uh, dressed in a 70s suit like he, and he came alive <laughs> you know like he's yeah. so serious but give him a second to be Richard Dawson-esque and make fun of himself and be goofy and wear weird glasses and dress like he's in the 70s and he had a ball right right <laughs> and I think that's that's so good because now somebody's sitting in the sitting and watching that meeting who maybe has the next great idea that, that needs to be talked about, that needs to be looked at. Maybe before they're like, maybe they're fighting their inner critic and like, eh, I, he'll probably think that's stupid and he doesn't seem very approachable. And, uh, but now they see that and they're like, this is a real person, you know? Yeah. He's, he's watched Family Feud just like I have. Yeah, he, he's just as goofy as I am. So yeah. maybe they now feel empowered to say, you know, put their idea on the table. I think, I think it all helps. I think so too. I think that's really... I think it's really interesting. And I did want to talk to you. I told you that I'd read this article and it was actually, I keep reading these articles and I don't know how they come up, which this in and of itself is fascinating, but I'm talking, I'm like diving into different things that I want to talk about. And this article I read was in a military magazine. So all these things that I want to talk about that are kind of vulnerable end up showing up in military uh, magazines or military discussions. So that's something to put a pin in. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, the article was about different types of humor. Um, and I, I sent this to you because I, I thought it was interesting. I want to, um, they were saying like there are four types affiliative, which I think is like 
we have affiliations. I can see it's funny because I right. see myself in it or we have, it's those things that we all get. Yep. Um, uh, self-enhancing. I don't know exactly. Like that's the stuff that makes you better. Um, but then there's also aggressive and self-defeating. So they were talking about how all four of those show up, but, and, but some of them can be, you know, good. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them can actually hurt our relationships and our connections. And no so doubt. talk to me a little bit about that. And have you noticed that um, where you might've been leaning toward self-defeating instead of self-enhancing in your vulnerability in your t- stand up and how that makes you feel and how we might watch out for it if we do it ourselves? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And you're actually, you were really, I mean, I agree with you. I think you're really close on, on your, your premise there. The question is I've always been somewhat self-deprecating. And I think that that's not always, that wasn't always in in the, just in the interest of comedy. I think it's a, it is a, it's a. I'm going to say it about myself first before you say it to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a defense mechanism. Maybe it's a mild cry for help at times. Maybe it's, maybe it's some insecurities and anxieties fighting their way through and you just want people to know. Um, and so I think self-deprecating of all those styles, um, was part of my go-to. I mean, part of being sarcastic and, um, where affiliative is more, is, is a little more like the nice guy stuff. It's the, it's the every man every day, the late night comic tries to find that type of comedy. Jerry Seinfeld's a guy that was, that's the classic master of that type of stuff. Um, and just, you know, has a show about nothing. If there really is no, it's just the funny stuff that happens when you go to the dry cleaner or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just great stuff. And so, you know, it's funny. We take, so self-deprecating, I think can is, is so funny because I do think it opens you up. I do think it makes you vulnerable. Um, I think it makes you approachable. Um, and, 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 I think people are good at it. Generally, I think it's the one that they. Uh, you mentioned one of their types, aggressive. Aggressive yeah. is probably the one that where um, you mo- most often come across something being hurtful. Yeah. And I can't remember necessarily great examples of when this, but I know that I would have been guilty of that at times. I, I mean, I do remember um, even at a young age. Um, just I don't even know why I remember this, but the. I was probably 11 or 12 and we were, it was a summertime and me and my buddy were out around and we were around some other, some other kids. So in this case happened to be boys and they were just being jerks. And I ended up going with the aggressive comedy and just berated these guys and just made it sort of like that, uh, sandlot, that scene where they're yelling at each other, you know, on the baseball mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I lit these kids up and I remember leaving and my friend saying, wow, you're really good at that. And it stuck with me like that, that was somehow a skill. Um, and so obviously I was like at that age took pride in that, like, oh, great. So if I really want it was your way to fight back the bullies um, with words instead of fists. And that makes a lot of sense. I think it's probably why I struggle with like those, like some of the celebrity roast things where you're like, that's that just crossed the line and it's not funny anymore. Why are we laughing? Right. Yeah. It, I, I had a, um, so about three years ago, uh, I had a, a dear friend asked me if I would, 
MC the Rose, MC a Rose for their 50th birthday. And so there was a room of about 30, 40 people, um, most acquaintances, but I got to do about 45 minutes of roasting one of my really good friends. Um, I loved it. It was a riot. Um, <laughs> you can oh get out God. all the things you wanted to say over all this time. <laughs> right. And then I got to roast a whole bunch of my friends who were in the crowd and um, they were all given opportunities, but it wasn't really fair because I was sort of the only one who came prepared. They didn't really know what to expect. Um, but <laughs> I say that because that was in, you talk about going over the line. Um, I had some hilarious stuff and I had some stuff that probably pushed the bounds, but that's what comedians do. Um, I hope I don't violate any confidences. Um, my friend who was turning 50, he's, he's a hugger. He's a lover. He's a friendly type, very hands-on. Um, and he, uh, he likes to hug the girls a lot. And so I joke that, uh, and I'll, I'm going to come up with, we'll, we'll call them, uh, geez, Monica and what are the, what are some girls, uh, Monica and uh, the characters from Friends. Monica, no, just kind Rachel. Of, Monica and Rachel. Monica and Rachel. So we'll just use names to protect the innocent. I'm like, I said, well, you know, I don't want to call him Hansy, but uh, after the last party, both Rachel and Monica canceled their mammograms. You know, <laughs> basically, <laughs> and everybody loved it. And the two, ladies who were involved thought it was hilarious and all was well but we had a christmas party three weeks later and he felt it necessary to stop the proceedings everybody grab a drink have a toast and tell them that he was sorry and that it had been inappropriate and and i felt i wanted to crawl under the christmas tree and hide i'm like you gotta be kidding me that was totally a joke it was not but he was he just felt he out he was caution. worried. Yeah. You know, I am that guy. I don't, you know, let me know. And so you've got to be careful. Aggressive can, as you say, and those posts, it can, you can push the limits and, and strike something in somebody that you didn't mean to. How do you um, approach? I love the idea of humor helping not take yourself too seriously, because I think in the business world, especially and at work, things seem so big. Um, I always tell a story that I, when I was practicing law, I had a, we were always taking ourselves so seriously. We're lawyers. We have a lot of important things to do. And I remember my boss once saying to me, this is when I was still, I think I was probably still in law school. Uh, I worked for her afterward as well, but she said, um, there's no such thing as a legal emergency. So get over yourself. The only legal emergency is when it's 1159 PM and the governor's on the phone and, and, you know, your client's about to, um, Right. not live anymore. And so she's like, that's the only one, everything else you can figure out. Right. And so, um, but we do take ourselves so seriously at work. Yeah. And how have you used humor to help with that? Especially when you said at the beginning, like some of these times when you've been in really difficult situations where things are kind of blowing up around you, how, how, how have you seen it work? Um, and how have you seen it not work? Um, so yeah, I think we do take ourselves way too seriously. And, and I, as I get older, I think I find, I think it just comes with age for all of us. You find better, you start to realize what's important and what's not and get better at it. But um, I think humor is where, where I've been able to use it to 
kind of as a practical thing is like employee reviews is one place that I've oh, where that's helpful. I've never tried to do that. Yeah. Tell me, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> so I have had a couple of uh, examples in the last five years where um, one gentleman I remember in particular was was struggling. It was my job to give him constructive feedback to do his review. And the goal, it, you know, if talking candidly outside the review, everybody's saying, you got to fix him. You got to change him. It has to happen now or he needs to find another place to be employed. And like, wow. Okay. Um, so I did an, I did an honest assessment of what I thought he needed to work on. I collect other ideas. And then I thought about it for a minute and thought, how can I convey this to this? Cause it would be, I would say 28, 29, 30, somewhere in there young enough that, that it probably would be pretty crushing. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I went at it with all humor and said, you know, here's some things. And I put them in, you know, they put them in anecdotes or I put them in funny, or I added something as a joke to it. And we spent a good hour, hour and a half going through this review and he got it and he understood. And his, his actions did change. He changed how he was. And a few weeks later, there was a chance for the staff to evaluate the partners and um, or the managers. And I got feedback that that was the best review he'd ever had. Wow. And that it did bring about change and that he heard some things he didn't want to hear, but they were delivered in a way that felt compassionate and funny. And at least when he looked back on them, he could giggle a little bit because there was something there to, to laugh about. But it was, it was, so that's where I've seen it work really well. Um, Gosh, Troy, that's your, um, I see that as your way to uh, get in the hole with that person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's, I agree with that. So um, I want to make sure I ask you another, another question with regard to, as you know, I deep, I care deeply about um, all things mentoring. And I was interested in you telling me if you could, if you could tell me about someone who has been a mentor in your life um, and why that person matters to you. Like, tell me a story about what good mentoring looked like in your life or still does. Yeah. And I, man, right off the top is I feel, um, I feel blessed that frankly, I've had so many mentors um, and some more intimate and close than others. Um, and so I guess I should say, you know, well, no, personally and professionally, I've been blessed with a lot of uh, mentors and I can't, I can never answer that question, especially right now. And it has to do with just losing my dad last year, that he was the ultimate mentor for mm -hmm. me. And I still look at every decision and thought and idea that goes through my head through the, the window that he provided me. And I, um, his, his mentorship and friendship and advice and stuff just was amazing. And it's missed every day. Um, and so he's the, he's the, the ultimate, he's the top of the mountain, um, for me. And I've, and I've had a lot of great ones, even the uh, gentleman I work with now who owns the company that I'm a CFO for has been, uh, a, a mentor and provided different, um, he's given me a different look at some, 
at a business in ways that I haven't seen it before, um, which has been really interesting. So that's been great. I love mentorship. Um, you know that we've, we've, we've been down that path before and um, it's so important. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you've always been such a great champion of it. And I think it's, it's a, every chance I can be a mentor. And even if, if it's as a hole jumper, if it's jumping in the hole with them to be a mentor, um, I take it. Cause that's, that's what I cherish. That's what I love to me. If you don't have those kind of relationships and connections in life, I don't, I frankly can't figure out why you'd want to do it. <laughs> I agree completely. And I love the story. I love that you talked about your dad right off the bat. And I, haven't acknowledged that I'm so sorry for your loss of your dad. Oh, no, I, thank you. That's super yeah. hard. Oh yeah, no, I appreciate it. And he's just been ever present on my mind it, and a lot over the last three months is it, when you lose somebody that close, you, if you're a hole jumper, you get in and make sure everybody else grieves first and everybody else gets taken care of and that they're okay and they're fine. And then at some point everybody's okay. They're, you know, they're, and then and now it's now time for your grief. And I think I've, I think I've come to that spot. Oh, my goodness. Um, if I could ever, uh, the story that you told about the whole jumper, I think might be my new shorthand for what I'm looking for in my mentors and in my friendships um, and my personal relationships, and as well as my ability to myself be either a good mentor or a good boss. I really want to take away from this conversation the importance of being a good hole jumper, but also, holy cow, I'm going to go back and rewind so I can listen to those particular lessons about, uh, about improv and standup that, that can actually apply to my life in ways that I had no idea. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. not even about the humor of it. It's about the way, about the, the life skills that go along with it. It's the formula. I'll, I'll send you a spreadsheet. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Troy. Thanks so much for spending a big portion of your afternoon with me. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. I love it. Appreciate you. to thank Troy for sharing his humor, but also his deep wisdom with us today. You can connect with him on LinkedIn. And if I hear from enough of you, I bet I could talk him into sharing one of his stand-up videos with us on our website. Until then, I hope you join us next week when we'll be joined by Tofi Ta'afua, and we'll spend some time really digging into what it means to feel like we belong. I hope you'll join us.